0: let yeah. yeah. Now, your hosts, David D'Lo Lopez and Jason Smith. This is The Metalist. Welcome, friends. Thanks for joining us another day on this beautiful whatever day it is you're listening to, whenever it is you're listening to. It's The Metalist with Dave. And Jason. Today, we're going to talk about something that's held deeply in the hearts of many. Up to a certain point, I would say. Well, I don't know. It depends. We're talking about Roadrunner Records and all the good and bad that comes with it, and everything in between. Jason, let me start this off by saying, can you remember the first Roadrunner release that you ever bought? (laughs) I don't know. I don't remember...
1: I kind of remember the first album I heard that made me want to look for more Roadrunner Records albums, but I don't remember probably the first one I heard. I mean, if they had... All of them listed somewhere in chronological order. I could probably tell you which was the first one I heard. Actually, you know what? Probably the first one I heard was King Diamond, 1987 Abigail. Okay. Not my fault. (laughs) Well, we'll get into that. But yeah, a friend of mine had it, and uh, I listened to it. So that technically, would, I think, would be probably the first Roadrunner release, because that's probably the oldest album that they had that I... Or fuck it, might have even been bef- before that because that was kind of like the breakthrough album in nineteen eighty-seven.
0: Yeah, it says it's his solo second album. Uh, was 1987. then before that? Uh, Fatal Portrait was before, before that, that. So okay, so Abigail was the first one I heard. So eighty-seven. Yeah, and then Them was nineteen eighty-eight. I think that was the first King Diamond thing I ever heard. Let's see. Da-da-da-da. No, it must be the one after that. Either way, um, for me, it was Obsolete by Fear Factory in ninety-eight. And that was the first one I ever bought with the cool digipack version that had cars and all those bonus tracks on it and had all the – I think the concept was in the liner notes of each release. But that was the first one I I remember getting going, man, Fear Factory is like the best band on on Roadrunner. And then seeing uh, Slipknot later, very shortly after, and who knew how big they were going to blow up. But that's – what year was that? It was ninety six. That would have been the 98? summer of 99. Um, oh, Because the record came out in 98, but the, the special edition came out in 99. Actually, yeah. So I got it in 99. Right. Yeah, with, <clears throat> with Cars. And then Dino says the big story was that was the only Fruit Factory record to go gold because of the success of Cars. But what they don't tell you is that there was a bunch of returns because people just bought it for Cars, and then the first song you know, what is it that gets opened up with is shock. And a lot of people didn't like it, so apparently they returned. They were shocked. Yeah, exactly, so. They are like, this
1: does not sound like the same thing. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. There There's lots. been
0: lots of stuff like that.
1: Yeah. You know, that's the joys of putting out a hit single, and that's different than what you do.
0: Yeah. That's that's part of musical discovery, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's, that's, that's some of it. So... I just want to uh, give a shout-out real quick to this dude, Stephen Hill of Metal Hammer.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Former uh, host on, uh... of uh, co-host of That's Not Metal. Oh, current, really? Current co-host of... Um... Shit. I'll come back to it. He's got I a just saw, show.
1: I just saw an article um, on Loudersound.com that was by him. Yeah. Uh, really cool article. Check it out. It's specifically about 1993 with Roadrunner Records, but um, it's, it was a really cool I like that article. So, he, he puts out a lot of good stuff. He's a fun let's reader. start out at the beginning. Mm-hmm. 1980, Roadrunner Records starts in Europe. I mean, they're doing like European bands, obviously, but they're also licensing US stuff. Yeah. So, when you're looking up bands that have been with Roadrunner, um, you do have to look because a lot of times it was like Europe only or U.S. only or whatever. Also, when you're looking up any label for this matter, you got to remember
0: just because it says Riot Act. Sorry, his name. His podcast is Riot Act. That's what it was. Any good? It, it's. It's. I haven't listened to all of it. It's. It's. It, it's like a. It's the idea is that whereas that's not metal was kind of the more metal centric one. This is like kind of alternative. Oh. It's got an audience. Check out both. Both great shows. When you see a band
1: in any label's <laughs> in any label stable... Ah, nicely put. <clears throat> I like it. You got to consider the fact, I mean, they might have been on there for like one album. Yeah. Lots of bands, especially metal bands, uh, jump around from label to label. You know, and then obviously they have their, their long running people. So this was started by C's Wessels.
0: I've only heard it said out name? loud once and it was by Large because they had a relationship because um they, they put out the Metallica albums in Scandinavia in the eighties apparently, so there was a bit of a connection there. Yeah. But I I, I almost want to say it's Keese. Keese Wessels. I, maybe I have no idea. It's okay. it's something European, but and the big rumor was that this dude was actually King Diamond. Like that was the really? real King Diamond, and he was he was putting out he did roadrunner to put out king diamond records separate from uh,
1: well that was their first that like i said that was their first real breakthrough album was in 1987 abigail was i mean probably at the time was I mean, it was their biggest album they had put out.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it says it was but the first one to the enter. the first
1: what four? I think it's the first four King Diamond albums.
0: I think so because I think he went back to Metal Blade after that. I remember seeing. Yeah, saying,
1: and then I don't know if they did Merciful Fate. Also, they might have. Um, I thought I
0: saw that they did. Let's let's see. That's why they. That's why we're doing the research, right? So one, two, three, four, five. So, and that was all from eighty-six to ninety. Very prolific. So
1: I do remember there being like Road Racer. Yeah, when it first started out, right? So is
0: this true that
1: they, that they had to change it in the United States to Road Racer because Roadrunner cartoon? I have no doubt. that's true? I, I can see something like it. Well, because my thing, okay, I get that there's a Roadrunner cartoon mm-hmm. and... At first, I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, they just named the fucking character after the type of bird it is. Yeah. You know, like, it's just a Roadrunner bird. Like, what the fuck? You can't copyright that. But if you capitalize it and fucking, you know, make it a fucking character name, then yeah, you would have rights to that. So I guess I could see that, but I guess it wasn't long. They got it taken care of and they're back to Roadrunner in the yeah. United States. Yep. And essentially, I guess I didn't know at the time, but. After I you know, after even back then, after checking out some stuff, I you figured out real quick. I mean, they used to be just a pretty straight up death metal uh um Death metal slash extreme metal mm-hmm. uh, label. They had uh,
0: de- Deicide and Obituary on their first records. Suffocation. Suffocation.
1: Some people consider Fear Factory's first album death metal. Uh-huh. They had so they had Old Pestilence, mm-hmm. which was nice. I think they had the first four. Well, they had all the Pestilence albums, which they were kind of deathy, thrashy, whatever. Oh, yeah. They but had like cynic. They had, they had the first Pestilence albums before they like broke up or whatever, and then. You know, Pestilence came back, and I mean, I think they've put out like four albums since, Mm -hmm. Um, not with Roadrunner. So once they left, they they didn't come back. Um, In fact, I don't think any of those bands left and came back. Once they were gone, they were gone. Obituary left after (laughs) Executioners' return. It was yeah, yeah, something like (sighs) that because they. Or wait, no, because did they, they came back with the, um. Well, no, they were, they were actually there. Frozen in time was Frozen the last, time's was the, one the last one of. with Roadrunner. Yeah. Deicide in Torment in Hell was their last one with Roadrunner. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's kind of when they were kind of not doing so great, right? Like, like they kind of had their resurgence on Scars of the Crucifix. Uh, and that was the last one with the Hoffman brothers. That's when they went to um, earache. But then they really came back hard uh, f- uh, with um, whatever the album is after that. The one with homage for Satan, and they got Jack Owen from Cannibal on guitar and Ralph uh, oh, Yeah, when Santella, they got, yeah, when they got Jack
1: peace. and and Ralph on there, um, really came back pretty fucking good. Yeah, but they but were they very had, like, disincarnate and stuff, yeah. which was like you know James Murphy's uh, band. Yeah. You know, they had a... Okay, so here's another thing. In this episode, man, I mean, yeah, we're deep-diving Roadrunner Records, but there's going to be a lot of bands on this label that we probably don't talk about. Obviously, every label signs... Well, not every label, but a lot of the labels used to sign, like, just tons of fucking bands. Some of them fucking hit, some of them don't. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if I don't mention fucking, you know, Dog Fashion Disco or Dog Eat Dog or whatever the fuck it was, (laughs) you know, my bad. Yeah. So, you know, just... Keep that in mind. We're not going to list off every fucking roadrunner band. I mean, it's it's just it's for one, it's too hard. For two, there's a lot of them that are really just there for like three albums. I think like Cradle of Filth was there for like three albums in the mid 2000s. You know, so to me, that's not really like a roadrunner band. Yeah. Um. After this episode, we will be releasing our uh, top five roadrunner records albums, and we'll try not to get too. I don't know. We'll try not to get too into like certain things because I don't want to spoil or repeat anything on on a later episode about a specific band, right? But I just wanted to hit a couple things real quick before I get to this other thing. So some of their like their their marks, right? Like the historical fucking marks. Let's just hit some of those real quick. Eighty eight, I believe, is when they signed Sepultura. That sounds right.
0: Yeah, because they uh, what was it? The the first two came out on a different label in Brazil or something.
1: Yeah, and then dude, okay, so 1991 Sepultura puts out Arise. Mm -hmm. That is the same year as the Black album. That fucking album is incredible, but it's still not the big one. So the big one that they that they that they did was in 1993. Chaos AD was the first was Roadrunner Records' first top 40 album in the United States. Mm -hmm. That's 32. Chaos AD, really, like, I mean, I'm not trying to step on a possible, not a possible, a definite... uh, Eventual? uh, Yeah, Sepultura episode. But Chaos AD had this different kind of groove to it. It was moved a little bit away from the death metal, thrash metal style that they had, and it went a little bit more into, like, a fucking groove style. In a sense, you can almost say it was, like, So I used to always say, like, Roots was like the first Soulfly album. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. This would be like the pre Soulfly album. Like the the album leading into that. Like, because it did kind of, that was the first change for Sepultura. And I mean dude I mean the album was fucking pretty big. I don't you know obviously it fucking charted top 40. They really built they were really able to build off of the success of Arise and Beneath the Remains for that matter. Absolutely. Um and then obviously like Roots came out and I mean I think it even did better. I I don't like it as much, but it it did better than than so I mean they really climbed up. You know Absolutely. and I don't know if that you know obviously back then A lot of your success did have to do with how much your label was able to push you through marketing, through touring, and just in general, just getting your band noticed by the right people. And the right people being people that would like your shit, right? So obviously, there's some bands that everybody will like their shit. Some bands are a little more niche than that. That's fine. That's their job. They either push you harder into that niche, or they blanket the fucking world with, you know, your stuff so that all the people can fucking see you and find you. But 1992, 1993 really is like the big shift. Now, this is where that dude's article came in. It Mm -hmm. was specifically about 1993, but they kind of shifted away from the death metal. And, you know, there's a little controversy about that. A lot of people like, let's get into that. A lot of people have had some issue with this label. Um, I'm not sure who does. I mean, I don't know a whole lot of people who talk about record labels. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I guess for a while there was kind of big in rap because Death Row, well, like Death Row, there was you uh, know, Bad, Bad Boy. Boy
0: Records, yeah,
1: there was No Limit Records, there's So So Deaf Records. That, so that, but that's like a record label having like an entire movement, you know what I mean? And it's the same kind of deal, you know, like. I guess I guess it's more known there because they do kind of scream out the label a lot. You hear the name a lot more.
0: Yeah, so me Mode with uh, you you know, maybe Rimes. that's
1: why they. Maybe that's why it is a bigger deal in rap than I guess metal. But I don't know a whole lot of metalhead dudes like that. You know, I mean a few here and there where where you could bring it, well, and especially like you could bring it up, and all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, you know what I mean. So, but it wasn't talked about a whole lot. So I'm not entirely sure who has a problem with Roadrunner. Uh, maybe it's bands, you know, or, well, yeah. or,
0: or talked very much about how they hated being on Roadrunner in the nineties. Cause they kind of felt like, well, they pushed
1: everything to the side. Yeah. They
0: kind of, the controversy
1: is, is apparently they are trend seekers and they just, yeah. they tend to, you know, find the newest trend, sign the bands that they need to sign. And then they kind of pay a little more attention or actually i guess the rumor is they pay all their attention to the new trendy stuff yeah. and the other stuff that's been there you know no matter how long it's been there no matter how long that trend has been around i e death metal
0: mm-hmm.
1: they kind of forget about you
0: yeah, Glassjaw had a very tenuous relationship with Roadrunner that's really well documented. Apparently Slipknot in the early days, it was kind of touch and go. I guess the big thing with Iowa when it came out was they were bummed that it didn't you know, become an instant hit the way they thought it should when it first came out. Every, every It seems like most bands have a little story here and there with whatever they felt r- went wrong with that relationship early on.
1: So that's another thing about Roadrunner Records that I've always thought really fucking interesting was the fact that... like. It's it is talked about a lot. It's probably the most talked about label there is. Uh yeah, in mean, metal, metal, like But I mean, okay, in metal. Yeah. And, and technically it was an independent label, correct? It's the largest at one point in time it was the Un- largest I know it was the largest independent label
0: until 2006 when they got bought by Warner Warner, yeah. yeah.
1: But I mean, you never heard bands talking about like Metal Blade you know, I I've never seen the Metal Blade mentioned in an interview. I've never seen Eric mention it. Wait, aside from, okay, you guys just left blah blah label. Now you signed with Relapse. Yeah. How's it going over there? Oh yeah, it's awesome, man. It's great. There's like a bunch You kind of saw the same shit. Like yeah, it was almost like a fucking sports. You know, no, absolutely. The ESPN yeah. sports interview and and it just and then it was really quick. And then the interviewer's on to the next thing. Right. You know, v- v- whether it was a video interview or if it was a print interview, very small amount was actually talked about labels. So, yeah, when you did, because I remember seeing Slipknot talking a little bit.
0: They're still on them now, 20 when years you, later.
1: When you, when you did hear stuff like that, I mean, it was kind of a... A bigger deal you know the but generally it's like I, I don't think i've ever heard anybody talk trash about the label they're currently on yeah i mean <laughs> you we know, can, it's always there, like later i
0: have a feeling eventually we'll get to an earache episode so i'll save all that but there's some tenuous stuff with earache dude. Oh,
1: i'm sure there's tenuous stuff with every single every single label because yeah. i mean most Dick bands theory. most bands have changed labels yeah you know there's it's very few bands have been with the same label the entire time it's a fact i don't Hey, man, hit me up. Tell me if there is one. I, I, know, I I'm trying to think don't want to do research on it, but I mean, yeah. you know, if, if anybody out there knows, man, hit oh, me up. I'd like to know.
0: Cannibal's been on Metal Blade the whole time. Ah, oh, true. There, there's probably true. some that are just not coming immediately to mind, but Cannibal. That's
1: true. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, but that's few and far between. A lot of times no, they yeah.
0: do leave, and a lot of times the reason
1: they do leave is because either, A, they got dropped. It was either a problem the label had with them, yeah. or they had a problem with the label. So that's just business. Yeah, no, right? exactly. Well, yeah, so in 92, they signed Typo Negative, Life of Agony, and Biohazard, all out of New York City, all out of the main offices. Brooklyn. The cool thing with this was these were, okay, so obviously it's like you had Typo Negative, who was coming out of... uh, Carnivore. Carnivore, yeah. Yeah. Also on Roadrunner. They basically invent goth metal Mm -hmm. and have huge success. So, Bloody Kisses... First gold album yeah. for Roadrunner Records, and it's the first uh, radio play they got with Christian Woman and Black Number One. Mm-hmm. Then they saw, so then you had Biohazard, who, for all intents and purposes, was a fucking rap band.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they were definitely on the hardcore side, but they had that that rap element. They had the street element, which was you know big at the time because. At this same time, like what ninety three? I think uh, ninety two. The Chronic came out. Ninety one. The Chronic. I think actually no. I, I thought it was ninety two. Ninety one was was E. Four and by N.W.A. Ninety two is the Chronic. Ninety three is Doggy Style. That's when rap got huge. Doggy Style is the first fucking platinum rap album. Is that right? Yes. No shit. So. So that's that's right when rap was getting huge and it was so rap was no longer just a fad like now it was a legitimate fucking style of music that could make a lot of old white dudes money yeah right the most popular
0: form of music right now that's uh, that's where that started yeah
1: so the fact that like metal kind of reflected that as well made sense and I'm not saying Biohazard was rapping, but anybody who's oh. heard Biohazard knows what I'm fucking talking about. I, you know, they were pretty much, if you want to say rap core is a thing, they were pretty much. In interviews? The first one where it was like the majority of their stuff, because obviously yeah. Anthrax and Public Enemy, obviously Suicidal
0: Tendencies had essentially rap songs. First one to make a whole band out of it. But yeah, like the <clears throat> whole thing. What what the what he said in interviews? Billy says Billy from Biohazard has said that he was coming from more of a hardcore background. Evan was coming from more of a metal background. Danny was coming from both. But the one thing that brought them together was New York hip hop, and so that's what that band is. is yeah, and they had the those.
1: they had the fucking gnarly fucking remake with fucking of Slam with Onyx. Yeah. Which was a huge song at the time. Absolutely. Then you have Life of Agony, which is basically a crossover fucking band. Mm-hmm. But the almost one thing they had
0: that nobody else did was the alternative rock influence. That's what made them Life of Agony. And eventually that would become their dominating you know, feature. Um, when I
1: first heard Life of Agony, it was basically like...
0: Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. But Life of
1: Agony, <laughs> almost it's like they have the slow and fucking low and heavy of Typo Negative, mm-hmm. which... They had a little bit of the fucking New York hardcore in them. Yep. But they had a very, very, very strange singer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about as a person, I'm talking vocally.
0: Yeah. Keith's voice sounded weird. Well, supposedly that came from uh, Sheer Terror, the uh, the clean singing that uh, Paul Bearer did. He, that that's was like, fine. That's that you can from. try
1: and fucking clean sing however you want. Your yeah. voice sounds how your voice fucking sounds, and his voice sounded fucking weird. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that kind of singing, that kind of vocal sound, let alone over that type of music. Oh, for sure. Like it was weird. Yeah, and I loved it the first time I heard it. Yeah. So once they got these, so once they got these guys, now it's like okay, well. We've kind of crossed over a little bit. We haven't fucking really signed like a full-on fucking hardcore band. Mm -hmm. But we have that element there. Mm -hmm. We're keeping with the shifting times where rap is getting fucking bigger. The whole street thing, the urban thing is getting more and more popular. And in a sense, to me, it seemed like this was the first time Roadrunner became... uh, This is mine and mine only. This isn't the fucking hill guy. (laughs) This wasn't in his article. This is my original fucking thought. And so if you have a problem with it, hit me up. But it seems to me that this was the first time that Roadrunner became a real business. Yeah. Because prior to that, it was like, we're going to do what we want to fucking do. And hopefully it fucking works. And to their credit, it was working. Mm -hmm. But this was the first time they made. Business decisions. Okay, what we're doing right now is not enough. We need to do a little bit more. We need to get some different types of bands in here. Let's go fucking find them. Which brings us to Monty Connor. The man. Monty Connor is a guy, is a name, I have seen so many fucking times in inlay cards. Yeah. For metalheads... Obviously, this is like, okay, so knowing who Monty Conner is, is probably like knowing, I'm trying to think of what it would be like. It's
0: kind of like knowing who... It's got to be a sports analogy, right? That's it's got to be, be,
1: but I'm trying to think of who it would be. So maybe like, in because I guess like a scout, mm-hmm. right? So the guy who brought, who went and scouted Wayne Gretzky and went back to the Edmonton Oilers and said, you got to sign this dude. And maybe Wayne Gretzky's a bad fucking choice because he was really good when he was younger. The whole fucking... All of Canada knew who Wayne Gretzky was. Right. So let's say... Um, Let's say something like, fuck, all right, man, I'm a Steeler fan. That Le'Veon Bell, I had no idea who the fuck he was before they drafted him. Even when they drafted him, I had no clue who he was. Turns out he turned into one of the best running backs in the league. Emmett Smith was another one. Not everybody knew who he was. All right, we'll do Emmett Smith. He's more well known. Yeah. But Emmett Smith was a second round pick, I think. Maybe a first low first round pick. Too small. To this, to that, like he wasn't fast enough, but blah, blah 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 blah. Some scout told the Dallas Cowboys, draft this dude. Right? Someone fucking had to go find this guy because he wasn't the guy that everybody was looking at, right? That's kind of what AR guys do. Yeah. There's lots of bands that are fucking great in their local area. But but the r A&R guys are the guys that go there and say, like, okay, now they're dominating this area, but does that mean they could dominate? You know, charts, the nation, the world, and fuck even, even two other markets. And they make that decision and they go back to the label, we got to fucking sign this guy. Or, you know what, let's pass on this one. Right? That's what A&R guys do and... I don't know if that's where it stops, though. I don't. Mean, they, maybe they're buying fucking. You know, they're paying for the hookers and blow. Maybe they're paying for the limos or their drivers. I don't know what else they do. Yeah. Because this fucking dude is the only one I've ever seen in any inlay cart. No. For so sure. what is he doing? <clears throat> that clearly no one else is doing. Oh yeah. You know what I
0: mean? Like the He's fact the, that I know his name. Yeah. Oh, apparently he was senior. Vi- oh, senior vice yeah. president of A&R. Yeah. And uh, the only other AR dude I can think of is um, Mike Faley over at Metal Blade. I don't know if he's still there or not. But that's the thing. It's like you talk about people that really rarely talk about labels, let alone you know the people that work at them. My, Monty Connor is the man, dude. I mean, he signed, just going down this very, very long list, Biohazard, Brookeria, you got uh, Chimera, Cynic, Death for the one album they were on, Glassjaw, Sepultura,
1: Slipknot. He also signed Machine Head.
0: yeah. All of them. All the, all the big ones and all the ones you never heard of and everything in between. Apparently set up a bunch of deals outside North America for some of the other bands that weren't actually on Roadrunner in the U.S. He, uh, he did stuff with Verrett Records and Trustkill back in the day. If you were
1: a metal fan in the 90s and you liked a lot of those 90s fucking groups, man, Monty Connor probably brought you more of those than any other guy.
0: That's the, just
1: how it goes. Like,
0: yeah. Apparently, he was the one that signed deicide in uh, obituary back in the day too. Sorry, my cats are stinky right now. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Stinky but yeah, cats.
1: that's that's the dude. Like in the fact, like, how is it that I know this fucking guy's name? Like, what? I I just, I'm just curious what he fucking, is he just the coolest motherfucker or
0: what? He's the one that gets brought up by all the guys because he apparently worked with all the guys. And not probably just in the Roadrunner circle, probably everybody in the heavy music industry, right?
1: So for anybody that's not in the know, A&R stands for Arts and Representation. So technically, I guess he is representing the band, but he's not like their booking agent. But he's the
0: go-to guy. But
1: he is the liaison between the band and the the label, correct?
0: Yes. Uh, it's apparently actually artist and repertoire. I thought I heard something I weird thought like it that. Was representation. I, I did too because it's only cuz I heard somebody say that recently. Huh. Whatever, you know that entails. And if you want to go by the Wikipedia definition, it's the division of the record label or music publishing company that is responsible for talent scouting, which we already covered, and overseeing the artistic development of record or recording artists and songwriters. And from what I understand, that that whole thing's become kind of a diminished, you know, factor in the record industry because they just don't have the money for that kind of thing anymore. But it is a thing with some, and obviously him being the one of the most experienced, and he's still doing it, just not with Roadrunner. There's still room for it in some spaces.
1: Well, so, I mean, I know a couple of label owners, like, from back in the day. But for some reason with this record label, I never knew the owner's name. I only knew the fucking A&R guy's name. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of thought that was really fucking strange. But, you know, whatever. So, another thing I would like to hit real quick is, like, in 1999, Slipknot gets signed. Mm Mm-hmm. They put out their al- self-titled album. Uh, this is another super important moment in Roadrunner Records oh, history yeah. because in 2000, they become the first Roadrunner band to go platinum.
0: Never would have seen that come <laughs> in a million years, dude. That's I'm, a
1: huge deal. Fucking, it's like nine dudes from Iowa.
0: Yeah. Weird. You know what I mean? Like Playing the music they do, looking the way they do, with the yeah. presentation they have, dude. That self-titled
1: album is not what they are now. There's mm. There was no Stone Sour influence Whatever you, however you want to, whatever you want to call that, I, I've always considered it, you know, to some degree, the the line got blurred a little bit. Honestly, it's almost like how could it not?
0: Yeah. When you got two of the guys in the band,
1: it's one thing to have a side group. It's another thing to have a side group that puts out as much stuff as Stone Sour
0: does. They put out more stuff than Slipknot at this point. Yeah. So
1: that's why I say like it would be really difficult for that not to bleed in a little bit in and out. And that's fine whatever. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I'm not a big fan of like the later Slipknot stuff, but that first album. Oh yeah. Man was fucking Dude, it, it fucking really turned a lot of heads.
0: It hit like concrete. You know, dude.
1: because it wasn't just nu metal. Yeah. It, I mean, they did have this you had a dude that could do all of it, and I'm gonna try not to get too crazy into it because I mean, I you know, we'll obviously have a Slipknot episode. Oh yeah, but, but they had a guy that could do pretty much anything.
0: Mm-hmm. And remember how good a rapper he actually was? Yeah,
1: musically <laughs> they could do a ton of different things. Yeah, you know, and they had the DJ, they had the fucking the 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 samples and stuff, they had the extra percussion, they had the 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 essential fucking like show. Mm-hmm. They had the look. The Kick Ass logo, the name for the fans—they had everything, and I mean, it was—they really fucking took the scene by storm. Oh uh, yeah, they you were know, the complete especially package. Especially considering the fact that they were kind of on the tail end of the new metal slash uh, rap metal phenomenon. Like, they
0: outlasted it. That's yeah, I the mean, they—they
1: they came in. They're—they're they're basically like uh, what? The, what the fuck was that? Shit like Firehouse or Trickster that came in at the end <laughs> yeah, of yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. glam era. They yeah. came in a little bit too late. And they didn't quite have like they hit really hard like boom, but they didn't have any longevity because the whole scene died right after that. Mm-hmm. And Slipknot, instead of that, they came in really late. They hit with a boom, and even though that fucking whole sound kind of fucking died out a little bit, they actually got bigger. Yeah. Yep. You know, like so they completely bucked that thing. Yeah. You now yeah, so they're I, one of the you know, biggest
0: there is. Yeah. Period. I mean, they're
1: one of the big. One of the. They're one of the top bands around. So. Yeah. Uh, that, that was just a, massive, a massively important album mm-hmm. for, for Roadrunner Records.
0: 20th anniversary this year.
1: No shit. Fucking Christ. Isn't that Because they're, so... they're
0: talking about a lot they're going to do something crazy and special for that's the 20th so anniversary. That's so fucking nuts to
1: me that 1999 yep. is 20 years ago. So, yeah. you know, huh, fucking that's how time works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyways...
0: So what what would you say the next one is after that? That's a big one. Oh wait, no. Nickelback. Yeah, I was just gonna say. <laughs> yeah, all right. Nickelback,
1: two thousand one, right? Like state um, of whatever, like it, it, the one with how you remind me. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. Looking it up.
1: I'm just gonna fuck say it right now. I fucking like that song. I think it's a fucking great song. Do I like Nickelback? Not really. You know, I mean, I I've heard. Some of their stuff, not a whole lot. I've never listened to one of their albums, so the only time I've ever heard Nickelback is either in a movie or on the radio, and and I, I just don't listen to the radio anymore. Um, yeah. But I heard the song that fucking talks about like the the girl that fuck the lady that kills her old her old man or whatever, or kills her fucking dude because he beat her up or some shit, like that was a pretty gnarly song. Is that, that the them?
0: second um, single on that one? I think that's the only
1: other song of theirs I've heard that I know that's them.
0: Uh, I'm when sure I, I've heard more. When but. I first heard Nickelback, they just got announced as a new signee in 90... Apparently, 98. I remember seeing it in 99. And I remember that, that one song, Leader of Man, which was not that bad, in my opinion. And apparently, that was from a self-released album that then got picked up by Universal... Or EMI, I should say, in Canada. And then when they got picked up for the third time, it was uh, on Roadrunner in the U.S. And probably worldwide. Uh, and apparently, that's gone platinum. But Silver Side Up... Is six times platinum, which that is huge. I, yeah.
1: I really like the fact that, like, I read an interview. In fact, I don't even know why I read it, really. But it was an interview with uh, uh, Chad Kroger. And I read the interview and I was really fucking interested because he talked about writing how you remind me. He said he used to go around his town and he'd have people listen to it and he'd write down notes
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he would ask them. What part do you remember the most? What part did you not like the most? What part blah, blah, blah? He really did a lot of research. Tailored that song. Not necessarily like the old school Desmond Child formula. So we'll hit that real quick. Desmond Child had a formula. Yeah. He's, he said he had a legitimate formula in a notebook of a way to structure a song. And it would be a hit song every time. Right. He's, written, he's co-written plenty whether that's real or not I don't know whether it's I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like it's real he had it yeah I just mean like whether it actually worked or not every time I'm I'd be curious to see but for all intents and purposes he had the formula right mm-hmm. this dude just kind of made his own formula you know he instead of instead of taking the Desmond Child one, which was an older fucking song style. He went out and did his fucking research and found out, like, okay, like, if you're gonna write a song with a fucking hook that you want, like, it was obviously a hook. It's called a hook for a reason. It's supposed to hook you. Uh, kind of needs to be memorable, right? Okay, well, all of a sudden you find out, hey man, I'm wrong. Hmm. This part should be the chorus, or this part should be the verse, or that. You know, like, so he basically like structured the song in that sort of way, and. Dude, that was a massive fucking hit song. Oh, yeah. Like, to me, pre, well, in the middle of the fucking Napster thing, that was one of the biggest fucking songs. I mean, as far as like hard rock metal, whatever you want to call it, grunge. I mean, I always considered them to be like a fucking not, you know,
0: too late for grunge players. Post grunge is the Um, tag on on it right now, I see. That makes sense. Too uh, bad. I guess that's the other single I'm thinking of. I don't know. That see, doesn't sound familiar. Like that's like yeah.
1: that's like I said. I mean, I have probably heard a ton of Nickelback songs. I just don't know it. Yeah, I've never really sat down and listened to them. I do know there was a time where, like, I think there was some song. I think
0: it might have been the one where. <laughs> maybe it's not even Nickelback. It is. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm trying to. I'm trying to see if it's on this album. Maybe it is. isn't. by the way, the release date for Silver Side Up by Nickelback, September 11th, 2001.
1: Oh man, there was tons of stuff there, dude. Yeah, God Slayer hates us all. By, yeah. But yeah, like there was a time there where I heard, I, and there was a, there was another song I remember that where I remember hearing this song, or at least one of the riffs, and I was like, "Wow, that's actually heavier than anything Metallica's doing right now,"
0: mm-hmm. which was really sad. I think but, I know the one you're talking about too, but, but I at
1: the same time, ah, eh, you know, that's just where music was. So, you know, yeah, I'm not a fucking Nickelback fan, but I'm also not a fucking hater. I, I for for all I fucking. In my opinion, from everything I have heard that I know that's them, which is probably like two, maybe three songs, you know, I feel like they are a really good band that got very fucking popular relatively quick, but a lot of people don't realize, man, they had two albums before that album. It's not like they just fucking one hit wonder came out of nowhere, right? So they're a fucking good band you don't have to you you not like something and acknowledge that it's good it's really not that hard to do i do think they get a lot of unnecessary flack but whatever i i do also understand that a lot of people don't like that band i get it i don't really like them either mm. you know but i'm not going to fucking give them a ton of shit so and they are on this label whether you want them to be or not they are on this label they did help the label out i mean they were kind of this was right pre this is pre like everything kind of starting to fucking die out almost, man. Like right. record labels starting to lose money. They really boosted the label up, but they had lost. By this time, they had lost like almost all the death metal, except for maybe fucking Obituary, right? I mean, yeah. I'm just trying to think I, around what that time. Obituary was with them till 2005, and Obituary
0: wasn't even a band at that time. They were no, yeah, they, they were
1: they were totally done at that time. You know, and again, shifting with the times, making business decisions like, bam, we signed Nickelback. Like, they could be making some other label a whole bunch of money. Instead, they're making us a bunch of money. Yeah. You know, and now whether they fucking use that money to push other bands or if they use that money just to push Nickelback harder, that's their decision. Yeah. Like it or not.
0: Well, a lot of the guys that were sticking around on uh, on Roadrunner at the time said, "Hey, man, knock Nickelback all you want, but that's what's getting us the promo money for pushing us further." Because you got to think around the same time, what else were they signing? They had Chimera. They just signed, you know, Kill, Switch Engage. Like they, a lot of that stuff is because of the money they were able to make with that. So, so that was going to be my next one was 2000. Oh, real quick about Nickelback, I thought that was their biggest album, Silver Side Up. It isn't. It's uh. All the Right Reasons, fucking diamond, dude. And I'm going, I don't even know what album that is. And apparently that's the one with that photograph song that all the fun little memes come from.
1: Oh, yeah, totally forgot about that fucking song. Okay, right. so I've heard that one.
0: Yeah, so there's that. So I'm thinking you're thinking around 2002 at that point?
1: Yep, I'm thinking basically
0: metalcore
1: specifically, Kill Switch Engage.
0: Yeah. Um, so that was the big story I heard is that they were, that was going to be their last thing, was if they were going to stop signing metal bands if, if that wasn't a success. This was kind of their litmus test, and obviously it blew up huge and basically set the trend for what was going to come for years. It still kind of is to a degree. Dude. Alive or just breathe, breathing hit yeah. like a ton of bricks.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember like when I actually heard the album. Well, when I downloaded the songs for the album, and they obviously, well, I'll save that for a Killswitch Engage episode. But I do remember going to the fucking uh, Roadrunner website yeah. and checking it out, and actually watching the video for my last serenade and thinking, wow, like that's pretty. Actually, that could probably be a good place to go into the next part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go to, so. For all you old folks, we're going to go down memory lane. For all you young people, we're going to go back to the future. (laughs) Wait, no. We're going to go forward into the past. Nice. Right? So we're going to go on a fucking little journey. Mm -hmm. A day and age before, you could just pay a $15 fee and get every music you want. Or you could just bypass that, listen to everything on fucking YouTube. Or you could basically... Download anything you wanted to fucking download, buy whatever song you want for a dollar. Back when you used to actually have to drive Mm. or walk to Mm. a music store, and sometimes, not all the time, you didn't even get to listen to the album before you bought it. Yeah. But you would have to go to the store. You would have to sit there and go through album after album after album. They weren't necessary. oh, okay, so they were separated by genre usually, and they were alphabetical. There's tons of them to choose from. You guys have seen Spotify, you guys have seen YouTube, you've seen iTunes, genres, so much stuff to choose from. It was like that except physical fucking form, right? So, you had some risks. One, you see, okay, actually, before we get into that. Also a fucking time when we had magazines, Mm -hmm. not websites. We had magazines that had ads, full page ads. You had smaller ads. You had ads by the record label where they would probably say like, okay, here's four of our new releases. You had interviews where hopefully you could read the interview. Um, Well, okay. So you had reviews. Hopefully... The fucking guy that's reviewing the death metal album actually likes death metal so that he can give you a proper review instead of that guy not liking death metal and just saying this album sucks. Yeah.
0: Which was pretty common for back then.
1: Well, yeah. They didn't tell you what the guys liked or not. Yeah. or not. So, you know, if, I mean, if a guy that doesn't like death metal tells me this album fucking sucks, I'm probably going to go buy it. Mm-hmm. Because if he doesn't like it, then it's clearly a death metal album. Yeah. But they never really did that. So anyways... You had the interviews, too. And it's like, that was your chance to connect with guys. So that was basically your Instagram, right? That was your chance to connect with the artist as much as possible. And some of those guys didn't do interviews. Some of them didn't get a chance to do interviews. Right. You know, labels had a big part in, you know, that's what I talked about with getting the band out there in front of the people they need to. uh, You know, labels getting you an interview. You know, for you know, a particular magazine. But seeing those ads and then going to the record store, taking your hard-earned money, or maybe you asked your parents for it, but you still had to do something for that money because you're young and you're not working yet. Not every 16-year-old kid had to have a job back then. Mm-hmm. And you had to hopefully you know, make the right decision. Yeah. So if it was a band you'd never heard before... And you were in a record store that wouldn't play your stuff before, it was a big time fucking risk because I went, me personally, I went from buying tapes for like eight to nine dollars to buying CDs for sixteen to eighteen dollars. Yep. Get the just imagine that, everybody. All the old people know, all the young people, just imagine that $18 for a fucking disc that could get scratched. It could get dirty. Mm-hmm. It could get stolen. It could get broken fairly easy and yep. it could get stolen. Yep. So 18 bucks to go buy some music that you hopefully fucking like. Yeah. This was the business. Everybody wonders why we're at where we're at. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. We didn't get to check out the stuff we bought. You know, man, fucking tapes and how many CDs I've chucked out my window while driving down the fucking road. Yeah, I mean, it's littering. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I was angry at the time cuz that yeah. fucking album sucked. Yeah. I was over it. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck this.
0: I think Out a the lot window. of people have that similar story too. Roadside oh, Records. Fuck,
1: so, dude, so many people I'm sure have done. Or at least like, you know what? They're sitting there fucking chilling in the room. They're fucking over, you know, Limp biscuit Significant Other and they just or whatever the fuck the album's called, Insign- Insignificant Other, whatever the fuck. They get up they walk across the fucking room, and they fucking slam that fucking album in the trash. They're like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Or I've watched dudes straight break a fucking disc in their fucking... Fuck this. Boom. Break Damn. it. Yeah. Right? I've bought albums because the album cover looked cool. And you couldn't take them back. Really? We weren't allowed to take them back. No, you fucking opened it. They're, they're fucking covered in plastic. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't take it back. You've already listened to it. If you take it back, now they have to put it in the used bin. And that's only when they actually got to the point where they had used bins. Because prior to that, there was no such thing as buying a used album.
0: Shit. I didn't (laughs) know. That's after my time.
1: A lot of of it's because there was cassette tapes, dude. Like, if you fucking used it and the tape got eaten, you fucking give it back. He can't see that. Right. But if someone buys that fucking album for like... Now, Budget Tapes and Records actually did have a fucking... A a, a very small used section. Mm -hmm. After a while, it was tapes... I'm assuming they went and listened to the entire thing to make sure it wasn't eaten or it wasn't fucking magnetized or Almost. it wasn't worn out. What a system that must have been. You know, but I don't know. I never bothered to buy one. I would never even consider the idea of buying a fucking used cassette tape. Right. Like no fucking way. I've I've t- taped tape together with scotch tape before to get my tape to work. Sweet. You know, it's fucked on that one little section. But at least the rest of it worked. So no fucking way am I buying a used fucking tape. Mm. You know, like, fuck that. So that's the thing. You couldn't take it back. You you couldn't go in and say, hey, man, I don't like this album. Now, after a while, you could. There was one fucking place where I lived where you could fucking buy the album, take it home, come back in a few days, and fucking say, like, you know what, man? It's not what I like. Or, hey, you know what? All right. So... (laughs) I mean, statute of limitations, right? We're yeah. good. <laughs> so I still fucking use tapes. And then I started fucking burning CDs. But I think this was when I was still using tapes. I would go to H- Hastings and I would go buy like, I don't know, five, six albums, take them home, fucking record the songs that I wanted on my mix tape. And then I would fucking take the CDs back. Tell them, they were for my little brother, but he has two of them and he doesn't want the other three. Take them back. Can I go get more? Sure thing. You just exchange them. And I would do that like four or five times in a row. You just got to make sure there's a different cashier there every time. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up with a lot of music Mm pre-Napster. Yes, it's stealing. I'm not going to try and fucking say like, oh, I'm not going to try and justify file sharing. I'm not going to justify fucking recording you know, making copies. No, it's fucking stealing, man. But like, you know what? I didn't have money to fucking buy the stuff that I fucking wanted. I'd been burnt so many fucking times. Because here's the other thing. You buy a fucking album. It's got two songs you like. Boom. Now what do you do? You're stuck with fucking eight to ten other songs that you don't like. You know how many times I've listened to Souls of Black literally for two songs? <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, yeah. That's not worth that money but I didn't get to take it back. Right. So when Napster comes around, yeah, man, I'm fucking I'm I'm getting everything I can. You know what I mean? But it also introduced me to a lot of fucking bands that I have supported over the years buying t-shirts, going to concerts and stuff. So it, to me it all it all works out. Yeah, the label guys not making money, but at least the fucking band is, mm-hmm. I'm buying shirts or whatever, I'm buying straight merch from them. So you go into the record store you just saw this ad and you're like, "Fuck! All right, cool." Now you would go into the i would I would go to the record store just to go there, right? Like people go into all kinds of stores just to go in there see what they have. Yeah, I would go in there all the fucking time, dude, and just browse basically. The first time I remember seeing the Roadrunner logo and noticing the Roadrunner logo, I went to go fucking. I, I, I think we went to go buy some weed from our friend Alan. I think I'm, I don't know if I mentioned him on a well. I don't know when this is episode is coming out, so I don't know when you'll hear that. But this guy, Alan, who had the dude just knew all the cool new shit, right? And me and Jeremiah, my old guitar player, like he worked with Alan, so that's how we fucking came to know this guy. But we were gonna go fucking buy some weed from him or something. We we're gonna go to this dude's house, smoke some weed or something. I don't know. We get over there. I'm stoned. You know. Long story short and this music's on and it's like some of the heaviest guitars i've ever heard it's slow and low it's chunky it's it's just awesome sounding and it's got the weirdest vocals i've ever heard and i'm like who the fuck is this Deuce is life of agony uh, i'm like that's there a weird go. name for a band he's like yeah you guys check it out so i ended up fucking buying the album and that was the first time i'd noticed well okay so that was the first thing yeah so i was reading the fucking back i'm reading the inlay card because it was a concept album it had cool fucking artwork i'm like all right cool and i did that anyway you know get stoned listen to the album fucking read the shit right so so i think at the same time or right well right around the same time i acquired burn my eyes nice i acquired demanufacture also nice what was another one? Okay, so obviously Sepultura. Uh, uh, Chaos, Chaos AD okay. I had. And, and Typo Negative Bloody Kisses. I believe my friend Beavis, like, well, he doesn't like that name. But <laughs> I also don't want to say his real name, because like, I don't know if he wants me to say that either. But Beavis yeah. introduced me. So he used to run sound. He was one of our old singers. He used to run sound for this other band. Their bass player, I think, is who introduced me to Typo Negative.
0: Okay.
1: And obviously Bloody Kisses. I know recently, right around that time, uh, some friends of mine actually saw Typo Negative open up for Pantera and Neurosis, I think. Nice. So they were kind of on that train too. Plus it was on MTV. Black Number 1 was on MTV. Now granted, it's a shorter version, but whatever. Mm. I really liked the, the bass stuff in Black Number 1. I oh, liked yeah. uh, Steel's vocals and stuff. So when I saw this dude had Bloody Kisses, I had to listen to the rest of it. And the big thing that I noticed on all these albums was the Roadrunner album logo yeah the red and white logo absolutely at that point i would go into record stores specifically looking for roadrunner records logos yeah another thing i would look on the fucking bands thank yous a lot of times they thanked who they toured with a lot of times label mates toured together Mm -hmm. and so i would be like okay okay all right, cool. I'm gonna go look for these bands. Mm-hmm. If it didn't have a Roadrunner logo, I probably wouldn't buy it.
0: Yeah. So I'm assuming around the time you're talking is like '95, because that's when this the is manufacturer from probably '94
1: to probably I was on this logo kick, and it's not like I didn't buy anything
0: else. Mm-hmm. But you knew you had a but good was, level of confidence. Oh yeah, still man. buy that logo. Now,
1: great. There was there was some misses, dude. This mm-hmm. band Treponem Pal.
0: That was a out. miss.
1: That was a big miss for me. Um another one five oh? I remember five like that was that that one. that's
0: that's when there was that whole thing of hey this is the new wave you had five you had um that was one I didn't particularly like yeah there were there was a few there there was the, the new wave But for the most
1: part dude they were all they all hit right for me Yeah you know what I mean like you could go get that logo and knew you were getting quality fucking shit and you knew you were getting something you'd probably like yeah whether you heard it or not yeah, that probably went on till probably like, uh, man, maybe ninety eight. Till till right around Napster came out. Yeah, obviously, once Napster came out, I didn't have to worry about so much. It was it, it wasn't necessary because okay, here is the other thing. Some of these just occurred to me. My son's age, so sixteen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe a little bit older. They have no idea what Napster is. They probably don't even know what downloading music is. It's Damn. always been streaming for them. Interesting. But. Yeah. <laughs> so now we'll shift forward in time a little bit to a point where you would get on your computer, your shitty fucking connection, 56K connection, mm-hmm. which is pre-cable modem,
0: pre-DSL. So we're talking slow internet. Oh, yeah. The one that you, is that the one you pick up the phone and like you just are Not quite there, but you would still hear the phone noise. Okay. You oh, would still the hear days. the phone
1: noise when it connected. Mm-hmm. And I remember it taking five or six hours to download a song. And that's if you were downloading it from another person who had another fast connection. Yeah. Um, so even with Napster, it's not like we just went fucking crazy. That wasn't until later. But at the same time, now I could check out some of these bands. Right. Right. But even then, the last album I bought. The last, you know, not from an unsigned band. So the last signed, you know, big release that I bought was Corn Issues in 1998. The one with the four different album covers. I bought the album cover that I thought looked the best.
0: Oh, that was uh, 99. Cause in '98 was follow the leader because I remember the the window between those two albums being crazy. '98 was follow the leader. Yeah, dude, it was August of '98, I want to say, and then '99 it was October, November uh, was issues. Because that's the big thing is there was a bit of resentment in the UK because they didn't tour uh, follow the leader on in the UK because again they took so little time between albums. That are we gonna do a corn episode one day? Oh yeah. Okay, I was gonna say that because that's when I kind of stopped paying attention to corn too. Um, that was the last album I bought. There was a whole thing about that release, yeah, with the four albums yeah, over the, the, the core four, four, four covers. covers. I got the one with the, where their little ragdoll dudes. Yeah, it was
1: ninety nine. I'll be damned.
0: Yeah, different time.
1: Yeah. So even then, though, when I was downloading stuff, because it did, t- it still took a long time up until probably 2000 2001 maybe when cable modems really became like the popular thing uh what I would do is I would go to band like the record labels website yeah and then I would look at the band cuz I wasn't going to record stores anymore and I would look at basically like the roster and I would fucking all right you know like cool man like you know I'll download one song from each of these bands or sometimes they actually had like the download of the day Mm -hmm. or they had a sample that you could listen to from each band. And if it was something you dig, man, fucking go download some of it. If it was something you didn't, you know, fuck it, whatever. Like at least you didn't have to spend your fucking 16 bucks, you know, without ever fucking like to me, dude, to me now, when I think about that now, and when a lot of people think about that now, that's a fucking ridiculous business model. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, it's not fucking cool at all. Like, And that's how you ended up having a lot of fucking artists that were really fucking great, but no one knew who the fuck they were because no one was buying their shit. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting pushed to the point where someone could fucking hear you before they buy your shit, chances are they're not going to buy your shit because they've never fucking heard it and they don't want to take that risk. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then when you do take the risk and you lose, you're just asked out. Like, that's fucked. Yep. You know, and people don't do business like that nowadays. And maybe the only reason they don't is because of the internet, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe people figured out that's a better way to do business, but maybe they also figured out you can no longer do business like that. You'll just lose right. every time yeah. because you should, there's you, you. And it's not like they're out to fuck you over. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, you know, they were trying to do this to fuck anybody over. I'm just saying like, it's, it's just a. It's just a bad business model. It was clearly
0: unsustainable.
1: Yeah. Eventually that had to fucking change. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the idea. Cause you could still do that now. You you can still go to the Roadrunner Records, you know, website, check out their roster, go on Spotify, and listen to all the fucking stuff, right? Yeah. If you're a young person, you know, if you're young and listening to this man, hit me up. Like, let me know if you do that. Do you do that? Are there any labels that you follow? Is it a big deal? Because there's no inlay cards to listen to read. Yeah. A lot of the Spotify bands don't have production info. So if you don't bother to go to the Wikipedia site, you'll never even know who the fuck the label is. Another thing do you guys still fucking care about who produced it or what label are they on or, you know, like, other associated bands or do you still care enough to go to the wikipedia to read about the band because there's a lot of new stuff that i listen to that i don't have any idea what it is you know what i mean i don't go i don't go to the wikipedia yeah so i'm just wondering is, is that still a fucking thing like do you guys still do that because i know a lot of people who used to do that we would try and find out as much information as possible about the stuff that we like now that you don't necessarily it's not necessarily about the band it's more about the song for most people yeah is that still a thing you know what i mean that's what i want to know you know send us your fucking emails you know or hit up D-Lo on fucking twitter on on the that one's the metalist pod right it's just a metalist pod metalist pod yeah you know hit me up on ig whatever like get a hold of us and tell us like is that still a thing i'm just i'm i'm really fucking curious to know if people still do that because i've kind of stopped doing that like mm-hmm. like i don't know who the fuck the bass player is in some of my favorite bands or yeah. you know and and it's just the way it goes because the scope is so huge it Absolutely. would be really hard for me to fucking know all the people in all the bands I like now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because now I do get to listen to whatever I want and I don't have to have any risk at all. Yeah. I, I mean, time. Well, I listen to fucking, you know, two fucking bolt thrower songs. If I don't like them, I just stop listening to them and start listening to some I do like, yeah. you know? So it's, it, it's so much different now. And it just, it's awesome that I guess, I feel like it's awesome that, that I got to see it change. Because I did get the taste of it before, but I'm also close enough to where I can embrace it the new way, where some of the people older than me have a harder time embracing the new way.
0: Yeah, we're in a privileged position. We got to see the transition,
1: and then the kids younger have no fucking point of reference of what it used to be like. You know, and like we're kind of right in the middle. So obviously, you're like you're a bit younger
0: at this time. Were you going into record stores often? Absolutely, dude. I still have dreams about going into Blue Meanie in El Cajon. I miss that place. Both Ooh, I locations, dude. Like I go by there every once in a while if I'm ever in El Cajon. Not the old location, but the more recent location, just because that's where I happen to be going by. <coughs> and it's like a, it's like a, it's like a school now. It's like a preschool or something, which is man. Weird. I haven't
1: been over there in a long time.
0: Yeah. Um, they're like I have to go there for business sometimes And I'm just like off second or whatever It's just like up oh, there it used to be And now it's like a preschool but it still has these Goofy skull things on the side Or something like that I don't know Uh, That was a store that specialized in um, Extreme metal dude And they had shows there they held signings I remember they had a vegan barbecue For the release of uh, humanure For cattle decapitation Like dude It was oh, uh, record release and listening party like they used to do all that stuff. They had Norm yeah, from uh, those. yeah Norm from uh, Psychotic Waltz was the owner. Psychotic Waltz and uh, Newcom currently as well, Uh and he was super awesome. Like
1: oh man, what was that other fucking band he was in?
0: Brick Bath. Uh,
1: oh, Broken Foundation. Yeah, it was, Broken that was Foundation. sick. We
0: played with them a couple times. They were <laughs> Same. sick. They
1: were fucking great. Yeah,
0: uh, and uh, while we're at it, for the sake of completion, he was also in. Was he in teabag? He was in teabag too, but that's not the one I was thinking of. He was in cage. He was in cage. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out Norm, man. Yeah, Norm Leggio, It's local San Diego legend. He had the uh radio show, Another State of Mind, when back when Run 1053 actually let him have a metal yeah, show on Sunday man, nights. I remember
1: that was the first local San Diego stuff I heard when I moved here the first yeah. time.
0: Good old days. Uh, but like just record stores in general. Well that's the thing. That, that Tower that place, used to have
1: events too. Yeah, I
0: miss Tower too. I only I, mean, I
1: never really got to go like cuz they didn't have Tower where I where I grew up. They right. didn't have events like that when I when I was growing up yeah. where I grew up.
0: You know what? We got to have Greg on soon cuz apparently he was one of the guys that helped run Tower in uh down by the sports arena.
1: Oh, I think there. Matt Bastard worked there too. Oh uh, yeah, there for you a little go. while.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a big thing cuz I remember
1: I would see stuff like that, like you know the in the magazines, like the New York City, like um, oh Virgin, just just the record stores in general. Ah, Everything okay. from the big ones to the mom and pop places. They all they always have these events, and I remember mm-hmm. thinking like God damn, like that'd be the coolest fucking thing. Yeah, but but no one here does that. Like here being Idaho, no one here does that. It's and it was. I don't know if they do it now. I, I still don't think they do. You know, like, I know the radio station does, mm-hmm. but, the but well, I mean, now there's no record stores. So I was going to say, yeah,
0: that makes it a little Kind harder. of the fucking thing. But yeah, yeah. The,
1: back in the, like, no one ever, no one there ever did stuff like that. And it was a cool thing, man. Like, you could do a lot of that stuff back then. Like, and
0: it's so, I don't know, because I don't feel like music's any less important. The experience of acquiring it is different now, you know? Well, for sure. That's what I mean. I have the, that phantom pain, for lack of a better It's the definition. difference
1: between going and fucking hunting down a fucking elk. Yeah. Stalking it, mm-hmm. killing it, dragging it back to your place, gutting it and cutting it, yeah. and fucking eating that motherfucker, yeah. to doing Instacart and having some dude drop off your groceries. I was
0: just going to say Grubhub or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's totally fucking different. Yep, It's... That is a very, <laughs> that is like the completely best analogy I could think of. Dude. That is, that so, is perfect.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, let's see what night you said. 98 was when you first heard obsolete, correct? Yeah. Um, so then I went to go get that they had at Best Buy or not Best Buy. I mean, Blockbuster they have music Buy. by then, right?
0: Yeah. But like, that was not, I was thinking about that the other day. That didn't last much longer. Did Tower, f- did Tower have listening
1: stations? Yeah. By then? Yep. So did they they might have been one that had it the whole time. Yeah. I can you know see what that. I mean? Some of those had them. My mom used to remember going to the record store and they had booths. Yeah. They can go into and like they legit put the record on, yeah. you know, and like you had to listen to the record. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also encouraged that you, you know, they didn't really say like you have to buy it. You could listen to the entire record, mm-hmm. you could sit in there all day and just listen to music and then bounce. You know, yeah, we're like blockbuster. I think you were only allowed to listen to so much of the of each song,
0: right? Probably wasn't that the deal? Maybe I, I don't know that I would have ever like sat down and listened to something long enough mm. to have that happen. I remember like if it was a CD, because of course it was. I, you know, that's the area <coughs> I grew up in. Like you could s- still skip the number of tracks you wanted or whatever. All so, oh, right on, bro. Right yeah. And I mean, like the stuff I was listening to was something I was already going to buy anyways, right? Um, yeah, blockbuster music didn't last that much longer. I remember in Ramona, you could buy CDs at the blockbuster video for a while. So I wonder how many other blockbuster videos that was actually the case for too. You know, like
1: maybe they just didn't make the separate store. Yeah, you know they just sold them there or something. Maybe something.
0: Yeah, <coughs> they're, they're, you used to be able to you know physically buy music in a lot of different places. I, I heard you'd be you were able to buy like you know Sabbath or Metallica records at like drugstores back in the day. You know like. You were able to rent home videos at some of these places, right, too. Right. Yeah, different market. Um, but, you know, for me, growing up where I did, it was always like, oh, cool, we're going to North County Fair. We'll see what's at Sam Goody or whatever, you know. Or when uh, Hot Topic started selling records, too, you know. Like, I i only had so far I could go to do these things. But then once I started branching out, dude, I just, all right, who? what record store has this? What has that, you know? Because, I mean, they also had – cd now which then got bought by amazon when they decided they wanted to sell everything instead of just books uh so like if i really wanted to i could order offline right but there was something about going to these places and actually picking up physical copies of slaughter of the soul of *Heartwork* by at the gates every napalm record i bought burn my eyes by machine head domination by morbid angel something about actually seeking out and that there it is, out in the wild. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's tangible dude. Now, and I it's fucking mine. found it, especially yeah.
1: if it's something. Especially for us as metal people.
0: Yeah, you know, if it's actually there. Yeah, something about because sometimes that, it wasn't. Yeah, makes it more special. I remember when the first suffocation. Not first suffocation. When, when the suffocation self-titled record came out in 2006, when I went to Blue Meanie, they made a big deal about it. And it was like, oh, here's all this promotional shit. Here's a poster. Here's a bunch of stickers. Like, like they you know, which is probably sent out by Earache. But, uh, or not Earache. It was, uh, was a release? Well, yeah, they
1: still do that now. You yeah. kind of have to now. But back then, man, it was, it was a big deal. Yeah. They had to figure out ways to keep selling, like, digipacks. And, you know, sometimes they'd give out, like, concert tickets. Mm-hmm. Um... Fuck, man, they uh, do the uh, special edition stuff with like picture discs and, you know, or you get a fucking shirt or you log into this website and you get a free download of a song that's not on the fucking CD. Like they they had to do a lot of things, especially as it went on, because people weren't buying out like people weren't buying physical music. I don't I don't know. It's it's gotta change somehow. Like what being in a band is has to change at some point. So yeah. that'll be a totally different fucking podcast. But
0: yeah. you know one other thing that Roadrunner got a lot of shit for that I you know, I agree with is the whole thing of uh back in the day they would do you know, and this was already kind of controversial to a degree, okay, here's the album. Now here's the special edition of the album with, you know Extra shit. Yeah, the B sides and extra songs and live renditions and remixes and demos and they would do them a lot of the time same day, which, all right, whatever. But then what it would be was, like, the special editions that came further down the road for the album that was already released. And, like, you know, not years later, but, like, a couple months. Fucking milking it, dude. Yeah, you know. Trying to
1: get more. Trying to get you to buy another thing. Like, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that either. I wasn't a big fan of, like, uh, even back in the day, like, greatest hits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that. But, you know, I was the... I w- so that's for the people that are the opposite of how I was. I was the dude that even if I bought all the fucking tapes, man, like I had a fucking ton of fucking albums that I bought. Even then, I would make my own greatest hits tapes. I would make my own mix tapes. I would. I was so into that sort of thing where a lot of people weren't. They you know so oh I'm just gonna buy the compilation. You know like I'll buy the. The greatest hits album, the only time I'd ever really wanted the greatest hits albums it's like the shit was remastered, so it's nice and loud, yeah, but I mean, other than that like like the uh what was it the aerosmith greatest hits the the real popular one with the red and white mm-hmm. um I and mean, like the queen oh yeah disc one disc two, or yeah. sorry, you know album one album two mm-hmm. uh um, you know they were they were all the same loudness, they all sounded you know relatively. Like, like, they all just kind of came out today.
0: Yeah, I, I used to be a big staggler you know, for Soundtracks were cool like that, too. So that was
1: the only time I ever really fucked with it, because I liked making my own. Because yeah. I'd always buy those greatest hits. I'm like, what the fuck is that song doing on there? Yeah, for sure. You for know what sure, I mean? Yeah. Like, or why isn't this song on there? Like, what the fuck?
0: And, yeah, hit? And it, yeah, like, what? Get yeah. the
1: fuck out. Yeah, there was always something on there I didn't like. So I always wanted to make my own. And and then there was the other people. I was like, yeah, cool. But again, that's a lot of times those came out without the artists what would you call it without them even knowing it consultation
0: permission yeah that was a big thing it was just another money grab yeah that was a big thing against roadrunner too some band left roadrunner because of that i'm trying to remember who i think it was typo and that's when they went to oh yeah
1: yeah yeah they did yeah there was the least the least worst of the least worst of Yeah, Yeah, yeah dude like yeah, uh, dude. That they they had put out without their permission or yeah, something a, like a that. A bunch
0: of those did, and like like that was the other thing was re uh, releasing the the albums with like demos and shit. Like I remember, um, Glassjaw was very pissed about them re releasing everything you ever wanted to know about Silence without their permission with uh, huh. with bonus tracks or something that they didn't want released because they didn't think it was up to snuff. I want to say I know there was a re release of River Runs Red with demos on there, and I don't remember if that was done without their permission or not. Or maybe it was, but like I don't remember if they made a big stink about it. Somebody else made a big stink about re-releasing an album with with supplemental material that was like that's just all they had to go off of was shitty demos or B sides that weren't worth they felt weren't worth releasing, you know? Uh, And they and they did that sometimes, you know. And uh, that I don't know if they still do that now. That was like a decade ago or something. But like you know, there's there's gripes.
1: So I saw now their biggest. Kind of like the, one of their bigger artists now. Their biggest new signing is Within Temptation. Is it? You saw those guys, right? I did. Well, her. Yeah. yeah, And her band. Yeah. But I mean, it's almost like the Corey Taylor label. You know, because they've, they've got Corey Taylor signed as a solo artist. They have Stone Sour. Well, and I was going to say,
0: you want to go over their, their current signings yeah. real quick? Oh, not
1: really. I mean, I know they've got like a Mice and Man Amity Affliction. Oh. Uh They got fucking Code Orange. Yeah, which so, that was a good sign. I mean,
0: it's it's, it's, think it's real trivium, quick.
1: Some other stuff. There's not a lot on
0: there. It's real quick. Amity Affliction, who is very, very critical about their deal, and they said they only took it because they had to and they had no other choices. Angel Dust, who's an up and coming hardcore band that's very alt rock leaning. Oh,
1: Turnstiles on there too. Turnstiles
0: on there, and yeah, and there's a connection between the two, and they're doing pretty great from what I can tell. Code Orange, like you said, Coheed is on Roadrunner now. Oh yeah. Uh, Creeper, right. who may or may not even still be a band, is on there, which is interesting. Some band called Dinosaur Pileup, Fever Three Three Three, which has Jason from Let Live and uh, and Steve from The Chariot, who's you know they got a Grammy nomination, good on them, and they're making a lot of waves. Gojira was a big deal when they got signed.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot they were I on there too. Guess I
0: forgot about in this moment. Joyous Wolf, I've never heard of. Corn, they have Corn. Marmosets, which was a band that was hyped up to be a lot and hasn't really done anything yet, which isn't anything on them. It's just you know the landscape motionless and white who's obviously quite sizable
1: oh yeah i saw that one on there i was like really surprised because like holy shit man like but yeah he's i like motionless and white i don't listen to him very often but yeah. i like that stuff they, they've got some catchy stuff yeah
0: slashes solo stuff slipknot and stone sour as you mentioned before turnstile and trivium and here's the one that i'm actually surprised is still doing their thing but good on him. and that was from the days when uh when Nickelback was the band on on Roadrunner, and Chad Kroger had a lot of pull and said, Hey, sign these bands is Theory of a Dead Man, who I didn't really mind, dude. Like, they were like heavier, you know, more metallic Nickelback, and I actually like that song. I've on never the Spider-Man heard, it. I've, soundtrack. I've heard
1: the name because I, apparently they're pretty popular in Idaho. So yeah. I've never heard them, though.
0: Yeah. I. <coughs> And that's the thing. I I know they'd been doing stuff ever since, but apparently they're still doing it on Roadrunner, so I guess good on them. So yeah, dude, less than 20 signings or current artists on, um, on Roadrunner. And that was the thing. When I was like... So that was the big thing. We may or may not have talked about it on the show. But, yeah, it was that thing when I was getting really, really heavily, okay, I want to get more into music. I would go on specifically Roadrunner, but, like, I would go on labels, websites, and be like, click on every band. Okay, what do you got? What do you got? That's how I discovered Life of Agony. That's how I discovered Obituary and all, you know, everything. Like, Like, the artist roster on roadrunner compared to a lot of them dude like if you're just go on, huge yeah dude and especially in 99 when i was looking into yeah. this unfuckwithable even if you just look at the alumni they had at the time dude <laughs> crazy i i was gonna try to find this for the show but it's buried somewhere i had a program that i bought for Ozfest 99 and in the back it was uh because they also had a really sick roadrunner uh sampler that year too but they had a little thing in the back of okay here's who's out who's got an album out right now and here's who's about to and it was all fear factory has obsolete typo negative is going to release world coming down there's this new band called slipknot that's got their debut album coming out and it was like all this stuff and just if you think about roadrunner in 99 hit 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 and then there's like a couple stray ones like the the workhorse movement that kind of fizzled out real quick and but like for the most part, dude, there's you know they were pop promoting Sepultura on against uh, Soulfly still was going off of the the self titled album, dude. Ninety nine Roadrunner was was my shit. Very good year. Um, Just for
1: for a long time. I mean, yeah. Okay. So let's let's finish off with. I mean, if you're down, yeah. yeah. Let's finish off with this Roadrunner versus Metal Blade mm-hmm. versus Earache. Versus relapse, so we're not going to get into some of the newer ones. Yeah, right? you
0: mean like in their heyday? Like what was the big to be four? Pinnacle? Big
1: four record labels, right? Yeah. Who's who? Who's
0: who? Do you got number one? If we're going all time, I'm still going Roadrunner, dude.
1: I think I'm going Roadrunner too. They've got to be of all time. Like they got to be like for metal. Obviously, yeah. they've got to be the number one, mm-hmm. right? And that's not a slight to anybody else. I mean, we're talking very. I mean, I for me, like for metal blade, like. They're all really fucking close. Yeah. So don't worry about it. It doesn't mean I don't like the other ones. I just I just think I don't know, man. Like they just ruled for so long. Absolutely. Like they had everything that was the shit. Yeah. Like I never went there looking for Eerie Records logos. I never went there looking for relapse logos. Now granted some of those stuff they you know, some of the the relapse to me, it seemed like they kind of really fucking hit bigger a little bit later. Yeah, well, I, so, mean, I mean, like... Because I would go to the relapse, relapse site, you know? I mean, I went to the Earache site, like... I, I went got to, a
0: good Relapse story when it's time to do the you know, Relapse yeah. episode, dude. So,
1: I mean, there's... There, I mean, I went to all of them. It's like... It's so I mean, It's not like fucking... I only looked at Roadrunner. I, I listened to all... You know, like a lot of different stuff, but... Mm-hmm. They're the only fucking record label I've ever specifically okay. sought out their logo to buy something that i've literally never heard in my life yeah and most of the time i was satisfied
0: Mm -hmm. real quick roadrunner united dude in 2005
1: i was thinking get into that with the top albums maybe but yeah Uh, yeah, let's let's hit that real quick before we bounce out and get into the episode what a great
0: idea dude you know something's nothing that anybody else did at the time Get up, you know, and then. Team had, captains. Yeah, team, four team captains. Dino Cazares, Matt Heafy, for you know, same year, Ascendancy by Trivium came out. Yeah, uh, great album. Yeah, Joey Jordanson, Slipknot at the time, and Rob Flynn from Machine Head, dude. Oh my gosh. And each song was its own style, depending on who, who was on the who was on what song. Trivium,
1: or dude. Matt Heafy was very big on really kind of catering the song to. The specific people that he gathered for a particular song like so he yeah. was very big on that like I, I watched that dvd and was like damn like if, if you guys ever get a chance watch that dvd it's fucking awesome yeah there's the... a fucking part in there where fucking uh oh man i can't is it the drummer from il, il nino Dave Shivari. Yeah. Yeah, he talks about like, so on this fucking part, man. Oh, for the King Diamond song? Yeah, Yeah. like Do you want it to be more King Diamond or do you want it more Merciful Fate? And I'm like, what the fuck? It's the same
0: shit, but it's not. It's not the same shit. It's totally different. Dude, watching Mike Smith lay down his drum tracks for... Oh, when uh, he talks about
1: blasting with his right hand and being able to blast with both hands Uh. so you can switch so you don't lose when you switch to your left hand. It's (laughs) fucking great, dude. The fucking dudes from Trivium just chilling on the couch playing like the gnarliest shit. Rob Flynn having fucking... You know, Jeff uh Waters. Yeah, Jeff Waters. Dude, that's just one of the best watching the kill one the, of those solos. The silly like,
0: faces he's making while he's doing it. Yeah, too. dude. Like, like, I mean, it's it's a really cool fucking DVD. Oh, yeah, if dude.
1: In, especially if you're into some of these fucking bands, man, yeah. and getting to see him and stuff. And then just recently I actually got to see the live stuff. And yeah,
0: they, they put out the the live <clears> DVD like three years later of that fucking show. Fucking
1: Brian Fair just hammered his fuck. Yeah. It's you funny, know? that's
0: like the most memorable thing. A is, lot of it, well, say. no, is
1: that when Keith Caputo did brother with fucking any father and, he, or fucked bother and yeah. he fucked it up and they yep. turned it into a fucking six minute song yep yeah cory taylor just laughing like
0: yeah I, it's in the spirit and then i uh, not to laugh yeah. it, oh, hey, hey, and then for roots bloody roots they did uh howard got uh, or uh cory got on howard's uh shoulders and oh yeah, yeah. the whole time yeah, dude, and then like, joey jordanson got a fuck monty connor chant going for the breakdown at the end of roots Another thing, unifying them all, they they were all signed by Monty Connor, right? Well, and that's
1: another thing. Like, they do talk about, like, because, I mean, you know, Andreas talked about it, you know, in a, in a long interview long ago where he mm-hmm. talked about, like, a, a lot of the bands knew each other. And they were, it was like they were just a part of the, a thing, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, I don't want to say family, but they were part of a thing together and they were always connected, he said. Like, so... Mm-hmm. I, I think that was in, in, in an interview about Soulfly signing to Roadrunner, if I remember. And he was like, well, yeah, it makes sense. Like, Max was here, and yep. he's still, you know, whatever. So that whole idea, um, really cool idea to get your roster to do a bunch of stuff. Now, I know, like, this thing was, it was fucking great. Man. Oh, yeah. Like, it was so fucking cool, like, to see some of those guys working with each other, and no one else had done anything like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even even Glenn Benton's story about how he got asked to do uh slow or what was it uh the end complete by obituary, and he's like and he really didn't want to do it actually.
1: Oh yeah, And so yeah. he's
0: like he comes out on stage and he's clearly reading the the fucking lyrics from the book <laughs> yeah, as dude, he's good good time in metal history. That's
1: fucking cool. Yeah, it's got to be the greatest lo- label metal label. Yeah, ever definitely independent too. I mean,
0: mm-hmm. huge. They cap things off. Then they get bought by Warner in two thousand six. <laughs> and it got voted Best Metal Label by Metal Hammer at the Golden God Awards in 2008, mm. accepted by the singer of uh, Within Temptation. And they got um, in some
1: trouble with YouTube.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. Uh, by association, I think, is yeah. what it was. And then uh, Warner acquired all of Roadrunner stock in 2010, and then now they've been made a uh, division of Electra Music. In 2018, wow. yeah, and there was a whole thing with the uh, other offices being closed in Europe. And, and well, and you're going to see labels getting
1: weird anyway. Yeah, from here on out, labels are going to be weird. Yep. they're going to have to they're going to have to figure out the entire industry mm-hmm. as a whole, not just metal. Oh yeah, everything,
0: absolutely. So you take it with the good with the bad, <laughs> you get the facts of life about Roadrunner Records, pretty much, right? <laughs>
1: pretty much. You know,
0: I, I prefer to take the good.
1: So we'll be back with our top five. Roadrunner Records albums. Yep. Eat your veggies. Mm-hmm. F- fuck your prayers.
0: Mm-hmm. Follow us on all the socials. Yep. Metalist Pod on Twitter. Metalist Podcast on Instagram. Facebook is all there. Let's
1: see Metalist Podcast at Gmail. Mm-hmm. You can listen to it. Obviously, you're listening to this, so you yeah. found it. But Thanks
0: for joining us. Later. Yeah. See you soon. <laughs> it's called Dinosaur Pileup Fever three three three, which has Jason from Let Live and. Uh, and Steve from the Chariot, who's, you know, they got a Grammy nomination, good on them, and they're making a lot of waves. Gojira was a big deal when they got signed.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot they were I on there too. Guess I
0: forgot about in this moment. Joyous Wolf, I've never heard of. Corn, they have corn. Marmosets which was a band that was hyped up to be a lot and hasn't really done anything yet, which isn't anything on them. It's just. You know, the landscape. Motionless and White, who's obviously quite sizable.
1: Oh, yeah. I saw that one on there. I was like, really surprised. It's like, holy shit, man. Like, but yeah, he's. I like Motionless and White. I don't listen to him very often, but yeah. I like that stuff. They, they've got some catchy stuff. Yeah.
0: Slashes Solo stuff, Slipknot and Stone Sour. As you mentioned before, Turnstile and Trivium. And here's the one that I'm actually surprised is still doing their thing, but good on him. And that was from the days when. Uh, when Nickelback was the band on on Roadrunner, and Chad Kroger had a lot of pull, and said, "Hey, sign these bands." is theory of a dead man, who I didn't really mind, dude. Like they were like heavier, you know, more metallic Nickelback, and I actually like that song I've never on the heard Spider-Man it. I've soundtrack. F- I've heard
1: the name because I, apparently they're pretty popular in Idaho. So yeah, I've never heard them though.
0: Yeah, I <coughs> and that's the thing. I, I know they'd been doing stuff ever since, but. Apparently, they're still doing it on Roadrunner, so I guess good on them. So yeah, dude, less than 20 signings or uh, current artists on um, on Roadrunner. And that was the thing when I was like so – that was the big thing. I mean, we may or may not have talked about it on the show. But yeah, it was that thing when I was getting really, really heavily, okay, I want to get more into music. I would go on specifically Roadrunner, but like I would go on labels, websites and be like click on every band. Okay, what do you got? What do you got? That's how I discovered Life of Agony. That's how I discovered Obituary and all you know everything like like the artist roster on roadrunner compared to a lot of them dude like if you're just huge yeah dude and especially in 99 when i was looking into this unfuckwithable even if you just look at the alumni they had at the time dude (laughs) crazy i i was gonna try to find this for the show but it's buried somewhere i had a program that i bought for Ozfest 99 and in the back it was uh because they also had a really sick roadrunner uh sampler that year too but they had a little thing in the back of, okay, here's who's out, who's got an album out right now, and here's who's about to, and it was all, you know, Fear Factory has Obsolete, Typo Negative is going to release World Coming Down, there's this new band called Slipknot that's got their debut album coming out, and it was like all this stuff, and just, if you think about Roadrunner in 99, hit, 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 and then there's like a couple stray ones, like the, the workhorse movement that kind of fizzled out real quick, and but like for the most part, dude, there's you know, they were pop promoting Sepultura on against. Uh Soulfly still was going off of the, the self titled album. Like dude, ninety nine Roadrunner was was my shit. Very good year. Um, just for
1: for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's finish off with I mean, if you're down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's finish off with this Roadrunner. Versus Metal Blade, mm-hmm. versus Earache, versus Relapse. So we're not gonna get into some of the newer ones. Yeah. Right? You mean like
0: in their heyday? Like what, what we're you talk Big being four pinnacle? big
1: four record labels, right? Yeah.
0: Who's who who's who do you got number one? If we're going all time, I'm still going Roadrunner, dude.
1: I think I'm going Roadrunner too. They've gotta be of all time, like they gotta be like for metal, obviously, yeah. they've got to be the number one, mm-hmm. right? And that's not a slight to anybody else. I mean, we're talking very... I mean, I, for me, like, for Metal Blade, like, for me, it's, like, it's really close.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, for
1: all four of these bands, especially being a death metal fan, mm-hmm. they're all really fucking close. Yeah. So don't worry about it. It doesn't mean I don't like the other ones. I just, I just think... I don't know, man. Like, they just ruled... For so long. Absolutely. Like they had everything that was the shit. Yeah. Like, you know, and, you know, yeah, I mean, fuck. Metal Blade had awesome stuff too. So did fucking Earache. So did relapse, but not as much. Yeah. I mean, fuck, man. You know, I never went there looking for earache records logos, I never went there looking for relapse logos now granted some of those stuff they you know some of the the relapse to me it seemed like they kind of really fucking hit bigger a little bit later yeah well i mean like because i would go to the relapse relapse site you know i mean i went to the earache site like i I got a
0: good relapse story when it's time to do the relapse episode dude so
1: i mean there's i mean i went to all of them it's like okay so i mean it's not like fucking i only looked at roadrunner i i listened to all you know, like a lot of different stuff, but mm-hmm. they're the only fucking record label I've ever specifically sought out their logo to buy something that I've literally never heard in my life. Yeah. And most of the time, I was satisfied.
0: hmm Good days. And then, real quick, Roadrunner United, dude, in 2005...
1: I was thinking, get into that with the top albums, maybe. But yeah, uh, yeah, let's, yeah. let's hit that real quick before we bounce out
0: and what get a, into the episode. What a proper. great idea, dude. You know, something's nothing that anybody else did at the time. Get up, you know, and then. Team had, captains. Yeah, team, four team captains. Dino Cazares, Matt Heafy, for, you know, same year Ascendancy by Trivium came out.
1: Yeah, that's uh, great album.
0: Yeah, Joey Jordanson, Slipknot at the time, and Rob Flynn from Machine Head, dude. Oh, my gosh. And each song was its own style, depending on who who was on the who was on what song. Trivia:
1: Do Matt Heafy was very big on on really kind of catering the song to the specific people that he gathered for a particular song. Like, so he yeah. was very big on that. Like, I, I watched that DVD and was like, "Damn!" Like, if if you guys ever get a chance, watch that DVD. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, there's the, a fucking part in there where fucking. Uh, Oh man, I can't. Is it the drummer from El Nino? Dave Shivari. Yeah. Yeah, he talks about like, so on this fucking part, man. Oh, for the King Diamond song? Yeah, dude, he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. do you want it to be more King Diamond or do you want it more Merciful Fate? And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's dude. the same shit, but yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. not.
0: It's not the same shit. It's totally different. Dude, watching Mike Smith lay totally down his different. drum tracks for... Oh, when uh, he the... talks
1: about blasting with his right hand and being yeah, able to blast with dude. both hands uh. so you can
0: switch so you don't lose
1: when you switch to your left <laughs> hand. It's fucking great, dude. The fucking dudes from Trivium just chilling on the couch playing like the gnarliest shit. Yeah. Like... Rob Flynn having fucking, you know, Jeff, uh waters yeah jeff waters dude, that's just one of the best watching the kill one the, of those solos the silly like,
0: faces he's making while he's doing it yeah too. dude like, like
1: i mean it's it's a really cool fucking dvd oh, yeah, if you're dude. In, especially if you're into some of these fucking bands man yeah. and getting to see him and stuff and then just recently i actually got to see the live stuff and yeah
0: they, they put out the the library <clears> like three years later of that fucking show Fucking brian fair
1: just hammered as fuck yeah it's funny you know? that's
0: like the most memorable thing a is, lot it, of well say. no is that when keith caputo did brother with fucking any father yeah. and he fucked it up
1: and they like, yep. turned it into a
0: fucking six minute song yep yep and Corey yep. Taylor's just laughing like yeah I, all, it's in the spirit and then i'll yeah, uh, try not to laugh yeah. like, oh, hey, hey, and then for roots bloody roots they did uh howard got uh, or, uh Corey got on howard's uh shoulders oh and yeah, yeah. the whole time yeah dude, and then like, joey jordanson got a fuck monty connor chant going for the breakdown at the end of roots oh yeah, uh, I can see left huh uh, 2012. No. So that, oh. I mean, that was just them being in, in jest about oh. like, oh, fuck, you know, uh, another thing, unifying them all. They, they were all signed by Monty Connor, right?
1: Well, and that's another thing. Like they do talk about like, cause I mean, you know, Andreas talked about it, you know, in a, in a long interview long ago where he mm-hmm. talked about like a, a lot of the bands knew each other and they were, it was like, they were just a part of the, a thing, yeah. you know, kind of, you know. I don't want to say family, but they were part of a thing together, and they were always connected. He said, "Like so, mm-hmm. you know." Um, I, I think that was in, in in an interview about Soulfly signing to Roadrunner, if I remember. And he was like, "Well, yeah, it makes sense. Like Max was here, yep. and he's still, you know, whatever." So, yeah, they that 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 whole idea for, I guess it was what a
0: fucking twenty. It depends on where you're starting. Fifth anniversary? Oh, for the label as a whole? Yeah, Yeah, 25th. 1980
1: to 2005, 25th. Yeah. Um, really cool idea to get your roster to do a bunch of stuff. Now, I know, like, um, was it I think Nuclear Blast tried yeah, something similar? Yeah, and
0: it did. And even, even Peter Witcher said it wasn't as great as it should have Not quite been. as good, yeah. but,
1: but I mean, still, this thing was, it was fucking great. Man. Oh, yeah. Like, it was so fucking cool, like, to see some of those guys working with each other. And, and I mean... Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, and then having the the album you know and, and seeing the DVD and stuff like it was just mm-hmm. a really fucking cool thing and at, at least at that time no one else had done anything like that
0: yeah both of those <coughs> DVDs are well worth watching dude yeah they're sick yeah even even Glenn Benton's story about how he got asked to do uh slow or what was it uh the end complete by obituary. And he's like and he really didn't want to do it actually.
1: Oh yeah. And so yeah. he's
0: like he comes out on stage and he's clearly reading the, the fucking lyrics from the book <laughs> yeah, as dude. he's as he's doing it. And it's just you know, Glenn Benton being Glenn Benton and then when he comes out for uh, whatever deicide song he sang, he's in full gnarly leather armor fucking, shit. He
1: was in the fucking torturer's mask or the, yeah. the fucking beheaders mask what that he uses. Yeah. Yeah, it was sick as fuck, dude. Oh, yeah. Like so yeah. Good good
0: time in metal history. That's fucking cool too. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's got to be the greatest label, metal label yeah. ever. Definitely independent, too. I mean,
0: mm-hmm. huge. I was going to say, to cap things off, then they get bought by Warner in 2006. Uh, <laughs> and it got voted Best Metal Label by Metal Hammer at the Golden God Awards in 2008. Mm. Accepted by the singer of uh, Within Temptation. And they got um, in some
1: trouble with YouTube.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. Uh, by association, I think, is yeah. what it was. And then uh, Warner acquired all of Roadrunner stock in 2010, and then now they've been made a uh, division of electro Music in 2018. Wow. Yeah, and there was a whole thing with the uh, other offices being closed in Europe. And, and well, you're I gonna think see labels UK. getting weird anyway. Yeah, from
1: here on out, labels are gonna be weird. Yep. they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to figure out the entire industry mm-hmm. as a whole, not just metal. Oh yeah, everything.
0: Absolutely. So you take it with the good. With the bad, you get the facts of life about Roadrunner Records, pretty much, right? <laughs> pretty much. You know, I, I prefer to take the good.
1: So we'll be back with our top five Roadrunner Records albums. Yep. Um, in the meantime, eat your veggies. Mm-hmm. F- fuck your prayers. Mm
0: mm-hmm. uh, Follow us on all the socials. Yep. Metalist Pod on Twitter, Metalist Podcast on Instagram, Facebook is all there. Medalist
1: see. Metalist Podcast at Gmail. Mm-hmm. Um, and SoundCloud. You, well, this might be on the website by then. Yeah. But yeah, we're you can it listen out. anywhere we podcasts. You can listen to it. Obviously,
0: you're listening to this, so you yeah. found it. But Thanks for joining us. Later. Yeah. See you soon.